that's not how you pronounce it. I know, but it's the closest thing <laughs> I could find to get a song for this week's Salute to Takashi Mike. Welcome. This is the Fright Club Podcast. I'm Hope Madden. And I'm George Wolf, and we're from MadWolf.com. And I believe this is the first, is it the first time we're picking just one director to spotlight? Yep. Yep. We've been taking, uh, you know, taking some uh, advice from, especially on Twitter, the last several weeks about, you know, who to focus on. Not necessarily a director, could also be an actor, an actress. There, we have a, a recommendation for a producer even, but... Um, we started with Takashi Miike because... Um, he's so fine. Miike, he's so fine. <laughs> That's why. That's exactly why. <laughs> but no, you're right. There's some good good stuff to uh, to discuss. Yeah, well, he has 86 films. Holy! Yeah, I mean, he's got to be the, like, the most prolific director of all time. It's insane. It's insane how many... Not, not all of them are horror films, but yeah, he has directed 86 films. He does... Yeah, like, four, he's not that old. No, no. He's 10 years older. He's like, he's like 55, 54. Yeah. He's born Holy in Yeah, moly. he does like you know like four or five movies a year. It's insane, and um and and actually several of the ones on our list today, they were originally filmed with the idea that they would go direct to video. They weren't going to be theatrically released at all. Right. And uh, and so that's kind of fun because the, the I mean the fact is, regardless of the fact that he just churns things out, I mean he's a fascinating filmmaker. He's nuts. Yeah, and and some of those you talked about. Uh, that were originally set to go straight to video were were brought to the theaters by popular demand, and we'll get to that as we get into our top five. But before that, let's uh, let's say some thanks to uh, for the response from last week's Blame Canada episode. That's right. Um, I did, we did get one. Our friend Neil McRobert at NACMAC, you know, our uh, Stephen King cor- senior Stephen King right. correspondent. He and he's probably not going to be the only one. He was sorry that we didn't mention Pontypool, right? Yeah, and that one. You know, it's funny to me that that's got. It really does. It's got quite a quite a, a cult following. That movie. Not, I've got not it, from you. No, I don't care for it. So that's that. There's your answer. That's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's why it didn't make the list. Uh, Hope does not care for that, and I haven't seen it, so I can't. Uh, I can't chime in you on. You know, Pontypool. you'll have to because it's about it's about a, a radio DJ. Oh yeah, yeah. Man. So Lance Henriksen is a radio DJ. So yeah. We've talked about before. I'm going to do a whole podcast one time, just radio DJ horror, hey, just for here you. in the air chair in Canada's <laughs> capital city, everybody. Uh, I will have to see that, but yeah. So you don't care for it, but a lot of people do. So and also John Dean, yeah. probably our our longest running Fright Club fan member. Uh, yeah. John Dean was really happy to see Cube on there, and and he says it's one of his all time favorite. It is a great one. It is. Cube is such a great movie. It is really good. So that was our not blame Canada, praise Canada <laughs> episode, and uh, thank you for that. So uh, also, I got a plug that we've. Just in a few days here, we've got our next Fright Club live episode, which we're going to be taping uh, our next podcast and showing the great movie, The Orphanage. Oh, my God. I love that movie. And that's going to happen this Wednesday, the uh, 11th, at the Gateway Film Center uh, in Columbus. So please come out if you're in the area. Not only a great movie, but uh, we're need you in the studio audience for some uh, some feedback as we tape the next podcast and talk about best Spanish language. Horror. Yeah, that was, you know, I, I actually just sort of uh, narrowed down the list to, to our top five this morning, and it, it may be a top six, top five, because uh, there are so many. Fuzzy math. Yeah, there are so there are many so, yeah. great ones to choose from. Yeah. Also, we want to say hello and welcome to a new listener, Ben Daniels, who chimed in on Twitter, and you can always do that. We love it. We're at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F, and he suggests David Lynch, yeah, which you is... Yeah, you know what? Some of the suggestions that we've gotten for a whole, like, a filmmaker podcast, they're they're not... Exactly who I expected. You know, I expected like Toby Hooper or Wes Craven or somebody like that. David Lynch. That's a great recommendation. Very good. Yeah. That's, yeah. And then uh, our friend uh, Bridget Oliver is at, the, at Columbus, K-I-L-L, Columbus. Um, huge supporter. We love them. We love her. She's a nut. 
And uh, she she recommended Vincent Price, mm-hmm. Barbara Crampton. There you go. And yeah. then, of course, and she she also she she just threw out there as a possibility because this woman has a giant crush on Oliver Reed. <laughs> she does. <laughs> okay, then. I'll go for, you know. Right, can we do five? So let you, got, live. you got the brood, you got burnt offerings. Um, and can we also, while, while we're giving uh, Bridget a shout out, we have to give a shout out because she, she dressed her little baby boy as Blackula. Oh my God, it was for so Halloween, great. And oh it was God, the it was, greatest thing. Oh my God, it was so great. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. So did, I don't know if she put uh, pictures on the Columbus, Columbus Horror Facebook page. I, I hope so. I People too. can check it out because, man, it was awesome. It was great. And salute to Blackula. So, all right, a lot of shout outs. I now love we're, William Marshall. <laughs> who. As we've, we might have said before, trivia uh, turned up before his death uh, on the uh, Pee Wee Herman show. He was king show. of cartoons, yeah. He was the king of cartoons. I know. Awesome. Fully formed career <laughs> from Blackula to king of cartoons. You had a great William Marshall. So um, before we get to the actual not fuzzy math, real top five countdown, we've got a few uh, that we want to mention. Takashi Miike movies, One, a few of his, what did you say, 86, 89 yeah, movies? 86. I had no idea. Yeah. Wow. I know. And so it was really hard to come up with just five. And I wanted to keep it with just five. I, I did because you could just go on forever and ever and ever. But there are four movies that I just want to throw out there that you guys should you should check out. A couple of them are really recent. So it might be a while before you're able to get them. And a couple of them are older. And again, I mean, these are a little bit hard to get a hold of, but they're so incredibly worth it. And uh, the thing about Mike is that he's his movies can be just that shit insane in a way that nobody else can like nobody when it when it comes to just the insanity in film nobody 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 touches mika it's true so i think that you need to check out his most recent one is called yakuza apocalypse yeah um it actually screened at the gateway it was in town uh it's uh it's a mashup it's a yakuza vampire movie and so many of his with the with the <laughs> yakuza yes um the yakuza is like the mafia yes right yeah, yeah so it's a japanese mafia yeah, films. japanese and uh, and and this one, yeah, they turn into vampires. Nice. And it's a bloody mess, of course. Another one, there are two uh, sort of back-to-back that I would recommend that are like high school horror. One is called As the Gods Will, and the other is called Lesson of Evil, or you might see Lesson of the Evil. Um, uh, the first one is uh, As the Gods Will. It's, like, it's sort of a battle royale kind of a thing. Uh, these kids are all locked into their homerooms, and they have to battle each other to survive. All right. And it's, but it's like, I know, and it's, but it's, it's like the, it's these robot, alien overlords that are making him do it <laughs> which is you know what sets it apart and then okay. lesson of evil is uh, it's like this handsome new young uh, high school teacher comes to the school and then uh, uh implements his own classroom management sort of strategy there's a there's a really high body count not a lot of bullies survive i mean it's brutal but that's the thing about it uh so, um, so that's not on the no child left behind list. It then. is not. It is not. So, as the gods will is one of those surreal, bizarre things. But less of evil. It's so darkly comical that you almost feel dirty for watching it. It's just. <laughs> it's. Uh, and then another one. And I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go out there and say this one might be the weirdest of all the Takashi Miike movies. Um, Visitor Q. So, like everything that we'll bring up in the next five movies, they're all also in Visitor Q. Like it's. It's. It's a family dysfunction film that just sort of. Kicks taboos right in the face. It's insane. Wow. It's so weird. Okay, so those are a few that didn't uh, make the top five, but definitely worth a check. Uh, Visitor Q is from 2001. Lesson of Evil, 2012. As the Gods Will, 2014. And then Yakuza Apocalypse. That came from just last year. So uh, some to check out before we uh, start counting down. And we'll do that right now with um, his, uh, Mike's contribution to the uh, compilation film, Three Extremes from 2004, and it's called The Box. 
Now, this one, although it's not a Yakuza film, it's got a lot of elements that you'll keep seeing in Mike movies, specifically dreams. Yeah. And whether someone is dreaming or are they not dreaming? Is this real or not? And this short film, what is it, about 30 minutes, do you think? Yeah, I think so, a little uh, bit. Yeah, about yeah, right around there. About 30 minutes. Really, uh, really takes that to, to the extreme um, because you're, you're not sure. She, she wakes up. And then is she dreaming or not? And uh, it has to do with a sibling rivalry, I guess, uh, yeah. as the young girls are, um, what you call it, they're magician's assistants or yeah. acrobats, they're kind of like a sh- some sort of a magician uh, magic show, and uh, they are young acrobats and gymnasts maybe, and part of their act involves them getting into boxes mm-hmm. for the uh, magician or the guy who's putting the show on. Uh, I think you're right. Uh, this really looks like a Takashi Miike movie. And I think that they, he does a better job than most with the dream sequence because y- you get the feeling she's never quite sure if she's sleeping or awake. And you as the audience, you certainly are never quite sure whether she's asleep or awake, whether what you're watching is a dream or is actually happening. Yeah. And, it, and, and it gives the whole thing a very surreal quality. Very much so. And there's some great, some great sequences. Very yeah. beautifully shot. Yeah. Many of them against snow. Oh, and yeah. then there's fire. Uh, the, it turns out without giving too much away, um, there's an accident uh, that befalls one of the girls. Uh, and then when the other one grows up, um, has some issues uh, looking back on that, dreaming about it, and then you're then you have trouble figuring out what is real and, yeah. and what is not. And and you know, and it's um, it's more subtle and it's sort of taboo than a yeah. lot of his other, which are very much in your face, but it's still all there. Um, you know, sort of sexual repression and, oh, yeah. and incest, and you know, and uh, sort of you know, um, body horror and and it, i mean it's all there it's uh it's still and it but weirdly enough it's kind of a lovely film it's creepy and there are twins in it so you know i love that uh, yeah it is it's it's not outright horrific and it's not very bloody uh at all um but it is creepy uh, yeah it's very creepy and it's part of one of the reasons that it made this is because it's part of three extremes which is maybe the best you know short compilation horror movie ever so takashi miike plus fruit chan and dumpling or, which is great and then uh the great Chanwook park mm-hmm. uh, you know so so that's part of the reason it's just a, you know you got to watch that movie like if uh, if the bunny chance you haven't seen three extremes you just need to see it yeah and this one of of all the uh miike films that we're going to talk about this one is the most I don't know, would you say normal? I mean, it, it doesn't have that crazy, as you said, batshit angle to it at all. No, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's um, surreal, which, which I think is a common element, but it's not, there's no, it's not absurdist in any way. Um, uh, there's certainly not a com- comical element to it, and it's, and it's not particularly bloody. So yeah, I think so. I mean, it's, it's maybe one of the more dialed down options. Yeah, but also one of the more, I think, as, as we just said a minute ago, one of the more beautifully shot yeah, a little bit like that 13 Assassins, which is not a horror film, but is yeah, beautiful. I, love that. I mean, it's horrific, horrific, but it's just so gorgeously filmed, and his use of color in both of those films is, is really amazing. And it's got that, if you haven't seen 13 Assassins, my lord, I mean, the entire, the last 45 minutes, oh, yeah. I think, of that movie is one extended battle scene. It's amazing. That will just blow your mind. I love that. So uh, <laughs> it's not on our list, not really what we're, we're talking about here, not a horror movie, but man, if you haven't checked out 13 Assassins, especially if you're a fan of Mike, do that. So um, yeah, that's number five, his uh, contribution to Three Extremes, which again, we recommend watching all three. Absolutely. Uh, from 2004, and his is the short film, The Box. Moving on to number four, one that we've uh, mentioned a few times to my disdain, I guess. <laughs> Although, you know what? We'll give it some due here. It's at number four from 2001, The Happiness of the Catacouries. 
I think when we've talked about this, it's come out of my dislike for the movie House. Exactly. Which, this is better than House. Oh, yeah. But it's just really not my type of, of, of thing. It is... It's nuts. It is nuts. Um, it's nuts in a fun and funny way. It's it's like the sound of music with an incredibly high body count. <laughs> um, and, you know, one of the things I love about this movie, so M- Mike, uh, you know, as we've said, 86 films, a lot of them are children's movies. Um, a lot of them are are uh, have musical elements to them. Of course, a lot of them are horror movies. And so this, to me, is just a mashup of those three things that he does really well. Yeah. He's just developed a tremendous style, and he really just grinds those together in this movie that is an absurdist comedy about, you know, this group of losers, this family of losers who uh, buys an inn and uh, because the, the, the street is about to be finished to the inn and then they never finish the street so then nobody ever comes to the inn. So then they finally get a guest and the guest dies. And then it's, oh my God, bad luck. And so there's all this like, don't tell, what are we doing? Hide the body. And then other guests show up and, and boy, guests shouldn't show up. It, <laughs> there's just so much going on. There are so many um, um, musical sequences Right. You know, there's there's a volcano, there's claymation. I mean, it's just it is nutty, but it's it's super fun. And incidentally, it's actually a remake or a, a re envisioning of a movie, a South Korean movie from 1998 called The Quiet Family. Now that <laughs> it has the same type of of plot, but there's no songs and there's yeah. no claymation. Less lunacy, I yeah, think. Less lunacy, and then also the, the same basic story was redone again uh, in 2003 in a movie called A Mysterious Murder. So. The the basic framework keeps getting redone, but not like this. No, not this at all. This is done with uh, with songs and all the nuttiness. And you could look at it. I don't know if you feel this way. You could look at it in an, as an overall parody of American cinema. Really, I yeah, I could definitely see that. Certainly of like cloak and dagger thrillers. You know, I mean, it's 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 almost soap opera like the way everybody is trying to hide something from everybody else, and so everybody else is trying to find something out. I mean, it really it very much is soap opera like in that just basic plot line, and then what he injects into it is so wild and absurd and and hilarious and completely unpredictable. And then they have that one little straight out straight out callback to uh, the Big Lebowski <laughs> in the scene where you remember in, uh, in, the, in the Big Lebowski where. Um, Jackie Treehorn is getting the uh, he wrote down the the message or the phone number on the little notepad yeah and so uh, he's how you do that you scrape it with a, the side of a pencil so you just see what the indentation is and then they do that in this movie <laughs> but it's not a message or a phone number that shows up on the page so so there's those in real intentional uh, markers to specific movies yeah but you mentioned the sound of music yeah. you definitely get that yes vibe. Uh, but you just, I know some people may disagree, but I think the overall effect is you really get the, the feeling that it's just a kind of poking fun at the whole American experience in a lot of these movies. It could be, you know, or certainly having fun with it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't see anybody making fun of the Big Lebowski. That would be crazy. No, no, no. You're right. Yeah. But uh, just the overall things that uh, that pop up in American movies yeah. and, and TV uh, a lot of times. So, but boy, he... Well, he uses a lot of different ways to do it. We mentioned the songs, we mentioned the claymation, uh-huh. and just the overall nuttiness. So, uh, and the movie certainly, you could say, cult favorite, couldn't you? With that, I think so. I yeah. mean, it, I think it's one of his more underseen um, gems. But uh, uh, you know, those who have seen it, it's not like you're going to forget it. <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. And that is from 2001, The Happiness of the Categories. And that's at number four on the list, moving up to number three. As we Are we amping up the batshit craziness? A little bit, I as think, As we yes. get each time. Uh, this is uh, up one notch, number three from 2003. It's Gozu. 
I love this movie. I love this movie so much. And that might make me, I mean, I can already hear in my head Bridget saying that there's something wrong with my head. <laughs> because if she thought that there's something wrong with me because of like Pin from last week, then yeah, this is, so this starts off a Yakuza movie. Um, the, the Yakuza boss has gone sort of insane. And so the higher up bosses want one of his underlings to take him out. The underling, who's our main character, doesn't really want to, feels very conflicted about it. And then all of a sudden they're in this just, it's not a dream sequence. It's just this surreal nightmare. It is, it's so dreamy. It is such a dreamy logic. Like you just can't quite figure out what's going on. You can't quite leave town. You can't quite find the correct room in the inn where you're staying. Um, and then, but, but, oh my God, the sort of sexual imagery in this is wow insane. Now, this is one uh, specifically that was intended for a straight-to-video release, but it got such a positive reaction at the Cannes Film Festival that they pretty much forced him to put it out in theaters because people just loved it. Oh, yeah. Well, it's brilliant. I mean, it's gorgeous. It's gorgeously filmed, and and it's 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 not as if... It's just this weird storyline that doesn't make any sense. Although, God help you if you try to make sense of it, you know? (laughs) Um, um, There's something uh, really sort of subconscious and primal and honest about, and that you don't want to admit that that makes sense to you because the imagery is so wrong. I mean, there's a minotaur. There's there's a guy who dies by electric ass ladling. It's, um... And I don't mean, forget my favorite, that killer dog. Oh, my God. That guy that he swing, and suddenly the dog has, like, his tail is suddenly three times longer than it was when, it, when he started swinging it around. Yeah. That crazy dog. But this is one, probably much like many of the movies that we, we talk about in this podcast, if you can get the unrated version, because sure, yeah. I think at least five minutes or so had to be trimmed, mm. uh, five good minutes. Uh, yeah, uh, I would think so. Had to be trimmed uh, to get the R-rated version. So yeah. if you get the the uh, yeah, not unrated you, version, if you don't see the entire adult man being birthed, then you've really missed something. Yeah, and this one you you said try not to make sense of it, but there are those theories out there. I've sure. seen I've seen people um, or I've read people talk about uh, how it's uh, about coming to terms with your sexuality, sure. maybe your homosexuality, also just a straight up descent into hell. Yeah, yeah, uh, I could, can absolutely yeah, see that. You could see that. Yeah, I could totally see that. Yeah, and I don't think he's in in any rush to uh, say. Which is right, or if anything is right, it's like no. Here it is. Yeah, uh, and take for what you will, because yeah, I like that. What'd you call that? Electric ass ladling. Or- <laughs> <laughs> That's new. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's just a crazy trip, just a crazy head trip. Uh, Gozu from two thousand three, and that is just at number three in our Takashi Miike countdown. And uh, we're getting to the top two, and probably uh, we get into these two there. The top titles that come to mind yeah. when you bring him up. Yeah. And number two is from 2001, Itchy the Killer. So, yeah, 2001, that's the same year that he did Happiness of the Categories. Right. <laughs> these, are, these are different movies. Yes, they are. It's got crisscrossing storylines, uh, really starting with Kakihara. How do you pronounce right, it? Yeah. And he's the guy with the, they call it the Glasgow smile yeah. or the Chelsea smile, yeah. which apparently is in, in, uh, those mafia circles, uh, marking of your enemies, mm. and it's ooh, it's nasty. It looking, is nasty, isn't he? Uh, so, so his boss is dead, but he but he believes that he may be kidnapped. So, uh, Kari, Kakihara starts kidnapping those who might be to blame. 
torturing them pretty outlandishly. Yeah, you remember the scene where the guy is hanging from hooks, just like all of those hooks up and down his back. Yeah. And you know he didn't do anything, and Kakihara thinks maybe he didn't do anything, but he doesn't care because he's really a big S&M guy. Yeah, yeah, and that, by the way, that scene, what I read, took like 10 hours to set oh, up. Oh my God. Just, just to set it up. So uh, then it becomes, yeah, he's he's becomes a sort of a god uh, to Kakihara, uh, Ichi does, who really, really likes to be abused. And you get to that, another theme in a lot of Mickey movies, this pain is yeah. to be, you know, elevated to, yeah. a, to a certain place, almost like martyrs, almost like yeah. the, uh, the theme of martyrs. Uh, beautiful pain, I yeah. guess you would say, uh, runs through this movie as well. And uh, he, he pulls... Uh, that rung out from under you because basically every person in the film is seriously deranged. Yeah. That's what Mike, that's how Mike has set this movie up. Because I think, so, so you got Kakihara and you know that he's bad. I mean, he's clearly bad. He's a bad person. Um, and, and, uh, and screwed up. But, and, and then his quest to find his boss is not just loyalty. It's because the boss could beat him up better than anybody else. I mean, there's something really unseemly and weird about it. And, but, and he looks, you know, he's got the, he's got the split open face right. and he's, you know, and he's, he's got the blonde hair. He just looks like a tough guy. Well, then you've got Itchy, who is the killer. And, uh, he just, he behaves like a child. You know, he's got like the big sad face all the time. And you really want to feel for him. You sort of do feel for him. And then in the end, he's as bad a human. He's, you know, and it's, it's just because he's just sort of wired wrong. It's not malice, but he's easily confused. <laughs> he makes the wrong decisions all the time. You know what I mean? He's, he's, he's our hero, but he's, he's, the worst person in the movie. Well, and here's the wild, the wild theory about this movie: uh, Are Ichi and Kakihara the same person? Sure, right. Yeah, uh, and, and maybe, maybe, maybe <laughs> not. But uh, that that is the often topic of conversation with this movie. And also, you know how a couple times you've mentioned that when you received the movie, uh, the woman in the mail. It came with a barf bag. Yeah. Well, they passed out barf bags when this, <laughs> when this movie debuted at the Toronto International Film Festival. They passed out barf bags. Wow. So, nice. And also, another little tidbit that you'll appreciate in the intro, that's real semen. Oh! By the wow. way. <laughs> you didn't expect that, did I didn't. you? <laughs> I didn't. Well, and this authenticity. One, yeah, and this one, it stays crazy. To the very end, because you remember the end credits. Yeah. Remember how the end credits start zipping all around? They yeah. go up and down and back and sideways. Um, so that that's, I guess, maybe another, if you want to read into it, uh, another way of saying you, you know, you may not be seeing what you think you're seeing, yeah. I guess. It it's definitely lends credence to that. If you watch it going in, thinking that, okay, am I going to try to de- develop a, uh, a theory of whether uh, Kiki ha- Kakihara and Ichi are the same person or not, you you know, you can start that way and mm-hmm. try to pick things out or just let it go. Just yeah. let, it, let it wash over you, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. If another director were to were to try some of these things, I think they would come off as gimmicky, you know, and nothing he does ever does feel gimmicky. Yeah. It, and, it, it, you know, it doesn't feel contrived. It just feels like he just has uh, a wild imagination, like like really like nothing else. I mean, the carnage in this movie, you know, and, and just and again, I mean, like in so many of his movies. The um, perverse sexuality in this film, yeah. um, which he explores without judgment, but he certainly doesn't, he doesn't encourage it. He doesn't, sh- I mean, it's nastiness. It's a lot of nastiness going on here. And then the other thing that I think makes it really memorable is, again, just this sense of humor that almost makes you feel yucky for watching, you know, <laughs> like 
this this scene should not be funny to me right now. This is totally not be funny, but it is. It's hilarious. And also, it's a good point about his imagination because so often he doesn't he doesn't write these. No. He doesn't come up with them. Like case in point, Itchy the Killer started out as a, as a comic, mm-hmm. uh, and then takes it and just runs with it. Yeah. in his own way, and it just gets. Yeah, you're right. You don't know quite what's happening, why it's happening, and yeah, yeah, should I even be watching this? Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's funny, the, the, the one of the ones we talked about at the top, uh, Lesson of the Evil, he, he, uh, he adapted that. He wrote the screenplay for that, but that's one of the very, very one of the few. few yeah. And it's really the only horror one that he wrote. Yeah, so uh, always a favorite. Itchy the Killer from 2001, and that is number two. And if you know Mike at all, then you know what is number one, and that's from 1999, the classic audition. I don't think this is a big surprise to anybody. I mean, we've talked about this movie many times. It's a masterpiece. Masterpiece. You know? And uh, and it's one of the great villains of all time. You know, Asame. She's so terrifying. She's so terrifying. And she's so dainty and elegant. And, you know, it sounds right. for all the world like she's saying, kitty, 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 kitty. <laughs> it does. You know, it's like, it does. oh, she's not calling a kitty, though. No. Oh, my God. Yeah, so this one, you've got a widower who basically is in, using a friend who's in the movie business, to help him get a date. Right. And they set up this, that's, that's the audition. Yeah. Uh, and actually, these women don't know it, uh, that they're auditioning for him, for this widower, to uh, get a new mate, I guess. And wouldn't you know it, he picks her. <laughs> he picks, <laughs> and he, uh, he, he lives to regret it. Um, oh, my God. Yeah, and uh, you're so right about that, because she's so dainty. And that, you know, starting right there, a lot of theories have come up about, is this movie... Is, is there a feminist message in this movie? Is it, is it talking about uh, those types of um, stereotypes about how Japanese women should be and how they should behave? Um, I don't know if you can find a lot of feminist messages in this movie, but I know there are people that do talk about it as fighting against that, as, as this movie kind of sh- shedding light on these certain mores that, uh, that b- Japanese women are expected to behave in a certain way, and then you have this character fighting back against that. I can see that, actually. I mean, I don't... Um, I would definitely not call this a sexist film, because the people who are punished are, are male, and they're, they're punished because this duplicity and this, you know, controlling... I mean, you know, it's, it's fascinating. It's interesting. I don't know. Her behavior, I, you can't applaud, exactly. No, no. <laughs> and then there's also, if you want to look at it through how uh, they deal with uh, the main male character. Mm-hmm. It could also be looked at as a way to uh, frown upon the, the pressures that um, Japanese men have in their social status. He's worried. He's worried about his social status, and he, he, he wants to find a woman you know, uh, uh, to replace his, uh, his wife, and he's, he's worried about his status, his business, his social status, and in a way you could maybe... Look, look upon it as a, a message about that. Well, I think, I mean, for me, and uh, I feel like most really good horror films, they don't, I don't know that they're necessarily taking a stance as much as they are unearthing social tensions yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Because it's the tensions that cause you to anxiety while you're watching the movie. Exactly. So yeah. I don't know that they're trying to uh, comment on anything other than the fact that this is a source of anxiety, and so let's mind that. Yeah. Yeah, and this is one. T- this is a bit of a bit of a tidbit since we just talked about this uh, on the Stephen King podcast. But you know the very famous scene in this one with with the foot, uh, and I don't think I'm giving away too much here. Hopefully, no spoilers. Um, in the original story that this was based on, both feet, oh. both feet were gone. 
Wow. Uh, yeah, and so it was a bit, uh, from what I've read, Mike... Because what is it she says? You can't go anywhere without your feet. Yeah. Uh, yeah, in the original story, they're both gone, so you're really not going anywhere. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, I guess uh, I've read that Mike uh, was quoted as saying he, he thought it was splitting the difference, just going, he thought too far, two feet was too far, so we'll just do the one, and man, what a classic scene that is. There are so many in this movie. There are so many classic scenes. All you got to do, well, uh, there's the bag. Yeah, we've talked the bag, about the bag the many bag. times. But you just have to see that still, that still photo of her with the wire. Yeah, her holding the wire. <laughs> and if you've seen the movie, you go, oh no. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's probably right. Just trying to envision both feet. I, I don't need. To, I don't need to see that twice. No, you know, just seeing the the one foot. No. But then here's the other thing too, uh, with Mike and his use of dreams. There's uh, there's theories out there that most of the last part of this movie is a dream. I don't. Uh, I don't find a lot of evidence to support that. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm fine. I, I love conflicting theories about right. films. Well, where's, the, where's the one scene, of course, where he wakes up and he and he, yeah. and he goes to his foot. You know, grabs mm-hmm. grabs for his foot. But uh, yeah, I I'd probably agree with you. But I can see how. Uh, especially with this director, especially if, yeah. if he's somebody that's seen a lot of his movies, how you could go there and start looking for clues. Sure, sure, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's funny, just like we were talking about uh, last or a couple weeks ago, the Kubrick films, you can just talk about a Kubrick film, like frame by frame by frame, every single one of them. Yeah. Well, I feel like most of Mike's films, you can do the same. He loads them with so much imagery and so many ideas, and they almost seem nonsensical and non sequitur and you think oh it's just because he's nuts but on the other hand if you look closely you think to yourself well maybe not you know i mean he is a master and maybe they're all in here for one very specific reason i feel like you can if you can t- stomach them i feel like you can watch Mika films like a hundred times and still not know everything he's trying to say yeah and i think your point is well taken about maybe not so much to make concrete messages and concrete judgment judgments but just to use those types of themes to get at you a little yeah, bit exactly. more I, to I like make that. you uncomfortable because yes. he really makes you uncomfortable and not not in a single direct way with the blood because there's a so much violence in almost all of his movies so much so violence much. but but that doesn't seem like it's enough that he's gonna then he's this undercurrent of humor that makes you feel sort of unsettled that you are laughing and also all of this blood is going on and then there's usually uh you know a sexual tension that is uh unseemly i mean he just really throws a lot at you but does it so so beautifully yes and so often beautifully shot yeah as well yeah. Uh, as well as just just put together so number one on our Takashi Mike, you so fine uh <laughs> countdown it's audition from 1999 so what do you think you get some in the wrong order you think others should be in there just overall um conceptions overall thoughts about Mike and his films let us know hit us up on twitter we're at mad wolf uh mad wolf columbus on facebook it's madwolf.com a lot of ways to get a hold of us of course you can always hit up the golden spiral media website the as lovely well. people who yeah the lovely people who host our yes. podcast and a bunch of other great podcasts like triple cast uh, a lot of other great podcasts you can go to there or you know you can just go to itunes if you want to go to itunes and you can uh, you can rate us yeah. that would be cool come on that'd be sweet uh, so, yeah, so we look forward to seeing you. If you can make it this coming Wednesday, the 11th, we're going to be at the Gateway Film Center for Fright Club Live, doing the podcast, showing the orphanage, giving away prizes, and talking about our favorite Spanish language. 
horror movies. So that That's should right. be fun. Keep those suggestions coming for future podcasts. That's right. We uh, we have some suggestions for what? David Lynch, David Cronenberg, um, other Davids um, <laughs> for Vincent Price and Val Luton. So if they're... You Barbara know, if Crampton. Barbara Crampton. If there's an actor, an actress, a filmmaker that you feel like they deserve a full podcast, the full Takashi Miike treatment, if you will, you know, th- uh, throw us some ideas because we're totally collecting them because it will be fun. All right. So we look forward to all that. This is the Fright Club podcast. I'm Hope Madden. And I'm George Wolf. And until next week... Stay frightful, my friends. Oh,